Good morning. How is everybody doing? Wide awake? Yeah, I'm still getting there too, I know. Takes a second. Awesome. Well, uh, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church, and uh, thank you for coming. If I didn't get to meet you, I'd love to meet you after service right out in the lobby. If you're watching with us online, let us know where you're watching from. So glad that you joined us today. Um, but it's been a minute since I've been up here. Um, we've had a lot of summer camp, wildness, craziness. We're still recovering. How many of you guys enjoyed uh, Brett and Clark the last couple weeks, right? Wasn't that awesome? Really good. Just so you know, they are coming up again within the next couple weeks. And so I'm not going to tell you who's on what week or what's happening. It's kind of Russian roulette when you come here, if you haven't realized that. Um, but there is order to it. We just don't tell everybody, so it's a surprise. You're like, oh, cool, you know. No respecter of persons here at Grace Church on purpose. But we're glad you guys are here. Um, just to let you know, um, how many of you guys had a good fourth? Anybody have a good fourth? Fireworks? Did you guys do fireworks? We saw them. We didn't have to spend money. It's really nice when it goes that way. Um, also, uh, Father's Day. I missed Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. Hopefully, you guys had a good Father's Day. Um, isn't it funny? Father's Day is kind of a funny uh, morning. Usually, uh, when your kids are younger and they start to grow up, you know, they kind of try to figure out how to get dad something. I don't know if you guys ever had that. And usually, it starts with, like, coffee, I don't know if you know this, giving you a heads up if you don't have kids yet. It starts with coffee, maybe kind of a gross piece of toast that's overburnt, right? And uh, I heard about this, this dad that uh, actually his son Max brought him a cup of coffee in the morning, right? And he brought it in. He was super excited. And his dad was like, oh, thanks, Max. Thanks so much. And the son's just sitting there, you know, with his hands and realizes that dad, he wants his dad to, to drink it. So he goes, oh, I'll take a sip. So he took a little sip and he goes, oh, thanks, Max. That's so good. Thank you so much. Has no clue what is in it and why it tastes so weird and all that. And so uh, the son sits still sitting there and he says, no, no, dad, I want you to drink the whole cup, right? And so the dad is like, okay. So he begins to start drinking. And as he's getting further down in the cup, he sees in the bottom there are some kind of figurines, and there's actually uh, some kind of toys that are in there. He takes his cup down. He realizes what it is. He looks at his son, Max, and he says, Max, he goes, why are there two toy soldiers in my cup? And the son says, well, Dad, come on. Don't you know the best part of waking up is soldiers in your cup? <laughs> right? Some of us don't even know that saying, and that's okay. We'll pray for you. Um, but uh, isn't that how it is, right? Uh, you know, like uh, sometimes with God, we hear something, and we might misinterpret that, right? Like whether it's something we've heard over the years or we've read it, and when we hear it, it doesn't really sit right, or you just take it and you think, man, God seems like a pretty scary dude. He seems like he's pretty angry at the world, um, and you kind of lose heart there. I remember when I was like 15, I heard a uh, youth pastor uh, was announcing to us that at another youth group, uh, a young teenager had passed away. And I remember he began to talk about the young lady and how amazing she was. And he said, he was talking about her, and he said, you know, I really hope that before she died, 
that she repented of all her sins, right? And I remember being a teenager, and I thought, man, that is crazy. So just at every waking moment, at every second, if you don't repent from your sins, that means it's still a 50-50 chance whether you know God or not, right? And I took that, I lived like that for a lot of years, just in constant wondering, I don't really know. I, I got to make sure that I keep the slate clean. And so my prayer today, my hope, my desire to communicate to you, I want to settle a few of these issues, right? I want to settle a few of these issues. Do you guys want to know how I'm going to settle them? I'm going to settle them once and for all, okay? We're going to settle them once and for all until the next time I preach, and then we'll settle them again once and for all again, okay? So if the, is that okay with you all? All right. So uh, we're going to start, if you guys want to turn with me in your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 9, and we're going to read verse 1 through the Passion Translation. Now, it kind of starts off in this chapter uh, the, the section of this is explaining about the old way or the old pattern of worship, the tabernacle type worship in the Old Testament, okay? So verse one, it says, now in the first covenant, there were specific rules for worship, including a sanctuary on earth to worship in. When you entered the tabernacle, you would first come into the holy chamber where you would find the lampstand and the bread of his presence on the fellowship table. Verse 3, it says, Then as you pass through the next curtain, you would enter the innermost chamber called the holiest sanctuary of all. It contained the golden altar of incense and the ark of covenant mercy, which was a wooden box covered entirely with gold. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Indiana Jones and the temple or the lost ark, right? Did anybody see that movie, right? So they did a pretty good job trying to display what it looked like on the outside. On the inside, they might have got a couple things wrong. Um, and here's what's actually on the inside. It says, and placed inside the ark of covenant, Mercy was the golden jar with mystery manna inside, Aaron's resurrection rod, uh, which had sprouted, and the stone tablets engraved with the covenant laws. Verse 5, it says, on top of the lid of the ark were two cherubim angels of splendor with outstretched wings overshadowing the throne of mercy. Uh, so with this prescribed pattern of worship, the priest would routinely go in and out of the first chamber to perform their religious duties. Verse 7, it says, and the high priest was permitted to enter into the holiest sanctuary of all once a year. And he could never enter without first offering sacrificial blood, which was animal blood, for both his own sins and for the sins of the people. So at one point in time, once a year, the people of God, the Jews, had to wait until the priest routinely performed their religious duties, which included a blood offering year after year after year, continually over and over and over again. Okay, this was quite a process to be forgiven by God. Wouldn't you agree? It's quite a process, quite a detailed out process. And I don't want anybody looking around, no, no uh, judging at all if you can. Uh, but how many of you have ever met a perfectionist in your life, okay? Like, have you ever met like a true blue, maybe you are the perfectionist, it's okay. Um, but you've met a true blue perfectionist, okay? 
Some of you guys are nudging people. I see it. It's okay. Um, I, I have a relative in my family. Uh, it's one of my uncles. And uh, actually, uh, so my, my family used to have our own lawn care company. And so I'm like 17, 18. I needed some extra work. Called my uncle, who also has a lawn care company. And uh, said, yeah, come work with me. So I go to get into his truck at 7 a.m. All right? So I go to get into his truck. And he said, okay, just wait right there. And I was like, okay, I'm waiting. And he said, all right, here's what I want you to do when you get in and out of the truck all day long, all right? I want you to grab the little handle that's up above, and I want you to pull your bottom over the seat and then carefully drop it onto the seat, all right? Now, on the seat, it has a towel, and it's lapped over about four inches over the back of the seat. Every time you get in, I want you to make sure that it's four inches just over the back headrest, okay? Underneath that towel is also a car seat that's protected. I want you to make sure that all the straps are on the edge and they're all connected and there's no movement of the towel or the car seat cover. Does everybody follow me so far? Then he says, okay, once you're in, I'd like you to close the door, right? I don't want you to slam the door. I want you to close it like this is closing it, okay? And then if you want to roll the window down, roll it all the way down, okay? There's no halfway, there's no quarter. It'll, it'll wear down the, uh, the mechanisms inside if you do all that. So all the way down, all the way up. Then if you'd like to listen to music, by this time I'm like, I'm ready to go to the property, okay? I'm ready to go. I don't know, we're still talking about this. Um, he says, if you want to listen to music, in there there's a CD player. You guys remember what CD players are, right? It had a CD player. He goes, there's a little sliver of tissue, okay? I'd like you to pull out from the left side to the right that sliver of tissue, carefully place it on the specific spot on the dashboard. Then if you'd like to pull a CD out, grab the CDs from the side, not on the face. You pull them the side. It's alphabetical order. Make sure you pull it out properly. Place it onto the CD player and let the CD player retrieve the CD. Don't push it. It doesn't need to be pushed. Let it retrieve it. Then carefully take the sliver back into the thing. If you're done with it, do the same thing. Reverse, eject, put the CD back in the proper spot. I'm ready to go to the property, okay? That was 10 minutes in. It went another 20 minutes after that. We're going to stop there. But there was a perfectionistic process. Do you guys get it? And with this forgiveness of God, there was a specific way of being forgiven. Verse 8, it says, Now the Holy Spirit uses the symbols of this pattern of worship to reveal that the perfect way of holiness had not yet been unveiled. For as long as the tabernacle stood, verse 9, it was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment, demonstrating that offerings and animal sacrifices had failed to perfectly cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. So even though the process was perfectionistic, it was still an imperfect process because it didn't cleanse you 100%. Everybody follow me so far? It's kind of like hand sanitizer. Does anybody like hand sanitizer in here? Where's my hand sanitizer people? Pull your bottles out and kind of wave them at me, right? We got any bottles? Yeah, we got lots of hands. I like it. Yep. But what's interesting about hand sanitizer is on the bottle, for some reason, it says 99.9%. Wouldn't you all agree? And that 0.1% tells me this. I know that you'd think another squirt of the bottle would finish it off, but it tells me that it doesn't 100%, I know that you're thinking you're ruining this for me, but it doesn't 100% cleanse 
the germs off of you. And can I tell you something I want to encourage you with today is did you know that God doesn't need you involved to cleanse your conscience in order to worship or talk with him? Like I used to think that in order to talk with God, I had to worship for about 10 minutes before, right? I had to spend time and show him how thankful I was and tell him all the things that I was thankful for. Then I also went through a process of trying to remember all the sins that I did so that I could make sure that when I go to ask God for something, that I make sure that all of that is out of the way. You know, the whole, uh, we come into your gates with singing and into your courts with praise, that is an Old Testament, Old Covenant practice, and we no longer walk in that covenant. Actually, it says that we have been seated in heavenly places with him, with Christ Jesus, and it actually says that we are to come boldly into the throne of grace. That's New Testament, that's New Covenant type of thinking. Verse 10 It says, for this old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals concerning food and drink and ceremonial washings, which was imposed upon us until the appointed time of heart restoration had arrived. There's not one thing that you can do to get God's attention more. There's not a single thing. You can't get his attention any more than you already have it. Scripture actually says that you are the apple of his eye, that he knows the hairs that are upon your head, some less, some more, right? And, you know, the other day I was talking to a friend at my house, and I noticed that my daughter just, sometimes I'd be talking, I'm just kind of like looking off into space, and she just kind of waves at me, and then I'm like, oh, hey, you know, like, hello, And she kept doing it all day, and I think it was just she thought maybe I needed somebody to adore or something, right? Just like, oh, look at me. I'm right here, right? And I thought it was great, but that's not how God works. Like, we're, he always, we always have his attention. He's always ready. Scripture says in the New Testament, it said his ear is inclined to our prayers, right? There's no matter work. There's no matter cleansing. There's no matter worship that we have to do in order for him to hear us or notice us more. All right, let's keep going. It's, uh, this next part is the heavenly pattern of worship, verse 11. It says, but now the anointed one has become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come. For he serves in a greater, more perfect heavenly tabernacle, not made by men. Can you guess what that is? That is to say, not a part of this creation. And he has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with blood of animal sacrifices, but the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. And he alone has made our salvation secure forever. Once and for all... Once and for all, he has secured our salvation. Our salvation is secured. It's permanent. I call this knowing where you stand type of salvation. It's, it's kind of like um, we used to go uh, deep sea fishing up at Lake Erie. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Lake Erie or the Great Lakes up there, but they actually call it deep sea fishing up there, even though they're big lakes, right? 
Um, and Lake Erie, we would go to year after year, and every single year there was always this um, captain that was there, and his name was Captain Lowell. Ask me how to spell that. I have no idea how to spell it. But he was a great captain. He was the best captain. And every year we would show up. We were hoping for him, and we would get him, and we were excited to see him. And the reasons why is because he was always ready. He was always there. He was always available. And every time we'd go out, he stuck with us the whole time. He'd keep us out. He'd change our bait. He'd change our rig. If we caught a fish, he would be right there to net it. He laughed with us. He cried with us. He'd be disappointed with us if we didn't catch anything. All of the above. And one day, Captain Lowell called in and called his buddy, right? He was sick or whatever. Called his buddy to Captain Jim. All right, so when we get there, Captain Jim, uh, to say it lightly or mildly, was a bit of a psycho, okay? Uh, Because everything, like when we pulled up, you could tell he was aggravated to be there. You could tell that as we're getting onto the dock, every step that we made, he was disappointed with where we would step. He was disappointed if we'd pull the pole too early, if we'd lose a fish, or if we'd get a fish, he was disappointed about that. It didn't matter what we did that whole day. He was frustrated and aggravated and disappointed with us. And I want you to know, God is a lot like Captain Lowell, the first captain, right? where he is just always excited, he's always pleased with us, he always cares about us, he's looking for an opportunity to rejoice with us, amen? Um, Knowing our salvation is secure is when we know where we stand with him. Verse 25, it says, under the old um, system, year after year, the high priest entered the most holy sanctuary with blood that was not his own, but the Messiah did not need to repeatedly offer himself year after year for what would mean, what, what that, or for that would mean he must suffer repeatedly ever since the fall of the world. But now he has appeared at the fulfillment of the ages to abolish sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. Once and for all, he has abolished sin. Now, if you want to debate with anybody about sin and what's going on with sin, go to that scripture. That's a tough one uh, to discuss. But wait a minute. I thought that God was angry at us. I thought God was waiting on us to repent and to turn from our wicked ways and to seek his face so that he can heal our land Clearly, he abolished sin 2,000 years ago, and it says once and for all, that means he's not holding anything against us. It has been completely eradicated, destroyed, and removed from us. Amen? Verse 27, it says, every human being is appointed to die once and then to face God's judgment. Judgment there means decision, and he's made a decision about you, and it was that you were worth abolishing sin for. You were worth it. You were enough. It was worth him going to the cross and abolishing sin, and he's made up his mind about that. Verse 28, it says, but when we die, we will be face-to-face with Christ, the one who experienced death once for all to bear the sins of many. And you might wonder how many. The word many means great or multitudinous, which means immeasurable or numberless right? Once and for all, he bore numberless people's sins. A numberless amount of people's sins is how many sins he bore and how many people he paid for. 
right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love the next one. It says that he came not, he sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world might be saved through him. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You guys hanging in there? Let's keep going. All right. Uh, once and for all, he bore the numberless people's sins. Verse 28 says, and now to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, not to deal with sin, but to bring us to fullness of salvation. Good news, he's not coming to deal with sin. He's not coming to deal with sin. I'll say it one more time. He's not coming to deal with sin. Why? Because he already abolished it once and for all. Uh, but I thought he was coming back for a spotless church. Bingo. You got it. A spotless church. That is it. You just hit a grand slam. And the reason why we're spotless has nothing to do with us. Because I used to think that, oh, he's coming back for a spotless church. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. How do I figure this out? It's impossible. You cannot figure out how to make yourself spotless. That's why he decided it's my job. He's the high priest. Uh, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, it says, The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessing to come, even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there still was nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. And good news, if the priest couldn't do it, then we can't make our hearts right with him right now. Uh, verse 2, it says, For if, if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin and they can't and they couldn't, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshipers would have clean consciences. Instead, once was not enough. So by the repetitive sacrifice, year after year, the worshipers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. I remember going to church like that for years and years and years. For what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? Anybody ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? It's a great movie. If you haven't, I'm going to give you a couple spoiler alerts today, but uh, sorry. That movie is all about, just so you know, if you, it's all about him living that single day over and over and over and really trying to uh, perfect that day in every way. And the purpose is, is just so he can get the girl, right? It's really just at the end of the day, it's just so he can get the girl. And I always laugh about it because I wished like there was a sequel to it or that we knew what happened the next day after he finally got the girl, because at the end of the day, he was still the same guy, right? Like it might've made it seem like he was all right, but he was still the same person. He was still the, the same dude, right? And so I, I bring that up because um, the system that we had that cleansed us at the one time, it was still a flawed system because probably the next day, they probably sinned and then they had to wait an entire year to be cleansed again, right? It really was a Band-Aid type system. 
We needed something that was a once and for all time. Let's hop back to Hebrews 7, verse 26. It says, he is the high priest who perfectly fits our need, holy without a trace of evil. This is talking about Jesus. Without the ability to deceive incapable of sin and exalted beyond the heavens, unlike the former high priest, he is not compelled to offer daily sacrifices. They had to bring a sacrifice first for their own sins, then for the sins of the people, but he finished the sacrificial system once and for all when he offered himself, right? So once and for all, he has finished the sacrificial system. It's no longer in place. And, and if we try to place something there, we're just trying to operate out of what used to be. Hebrews 10.10, 10, let's go back. Um, Hebrews 10.10, 10, verse 10, it says, By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. Verse 11, it says, yet every day priests still serve ritually, offering the same sacrifices again and again. It's still going on to today, till today. Sacrifices that can never take away sin's guilt. But when the priest had offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down on a throne at the right hand of God. That was the one thing that the, the priest couldn't do back in the day was sit down. But our high priest sits down at the right hand of God, waiting until all his whispering enemies are subdued, turned into a footstool or an ottoman type thing, right? And by his one perfect sacrifice, he has made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. Once and for all, he has purified us. Once and for all, he has made us perfectly holy. And once and for all, he has completed us. And the question might be is, why are we perfectly holy this time? Why are we perfectly holy? It's because he did it for all time. In other words, there's nothing that we could do to make us unholy because he's done it forever, over and over. It continually goes on. Matt, don't you think that people are going to go out and just do a bunch of bad things? Like, that is the question, right? Like, don't you think that, man, once they know, once they know, they're just going to, man, they're going to run wild. They are just going to go crazy. Um, well, let's read Romans 6, 10 through 11. Um, that might uh, counter that thought. It says, for by his sacrifice... He died to sin's power. Look at that. It's funny. It's all over the Bible. Once and for all. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourself as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure and union with Jesus, the anointed one. So once and for all, he made us, he made us dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal, right? If we're dead and unresponsive to his appeal, there's no stressing out about that. There's no stressing out about if we tell people how holy they actually are, does that mean they're just going to go run wild? Clearly not because they're so holy that they're, they're dead to sin's appeal. 
And I used to live the other way where you think, well, let me try and protect myself so that I can stay away from sin only to realize that you're already so holy that you don't have to worry about that. If we can have the keyboard guy come up. Uh, When you know that no matter what you are holy, sin loses its appeal because if you believe that sinning that makes you unholy, then you think, well, I'm already here. I may as well just hang out, right? Like that, that really thinks that if you think that holiness is up to you, if you think that it's a process that you're involved in, then just forever, for all time, you're going to think, man, I may as well just, um, I've already messed up. What good will it do anyways? I don't need to work any better. But if you realize, man, I'm holy right now where I stand. And there's nothing, you know, you step out and you're like, there's nothing that just happened. I didn't make myself unholy. Then you're right with him. You want to do good. You want to be free. You want to live a life of freedom, right? Um, 1 Peter 3.18, it says, Christ suffered and died for sins once and for all, the innocent for the guilty to bring you near to God by his body being put to death and by being raised to life by the Spirit. Once and for all, he is, we have been made near to God. Isn't that good news? We are now near to God forever. That's a funny thing about this whole tabernacle question or, or conversation is if you think that it, it took God making you holy in order for you to be a holy enough tabernacle for Jesus to live in. So what makes you think that every time you sin that Jesus is like, I'm going to bounce right now. I'm out because this guy isn't living right. No, look, because you have been made holy, because you are a perfect holy person right where you're at, you get to know that he is with you at all times. Um, I'm going to close with this story. How many of you guys have ever uh, seen the series um, Mandalorian? Anybody ever seen that series? It's in the Star Wars. How many of you guys are Star Wars likers? Half of you, and I know the other half are judging us right now. I want you to know there's a special place in heaven for the ones that haven't watched this show yet, okay? So go out. Go watch the show. I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler, but it's not too bad. Um, So the Mandalorian is all about a religious-type warrior people, right? And uh, it's it's interesting because they have uh, a law, they have a creed that they kind of quote from, and one of their number one laws is you're not allowed to remove your helmet um, in front of any living creature. Is that right? Am I saying it right? I believe so, right? And uh, so... Just to let you know, the main, the main character removes his helmet and uh, he becomes like an apostate, right? And the only way that you can um, be clean again is if you dip in the waters of Mandalore. I know this is deep on the Star Wars track, right? But you have to dip in there in order to be cleansed once again. And they didn't even know that the waters existed until this guy went and tried to trail them down. Um, but the whole wild part is all of them keep this on there, this helmet on, and they, they keep the creed. And, and he runs into this little guy. Um, my kids call him. I don't, yeah, you can kind of see a picture on the bottom right. But uh, his name is Grogu, just to let you know. Uh, but my kids call him Baby Yoda. And it's, it was really the gateway into Star Wars for my kids. Okay, so uh, you can judge me if you want. Great movie, great show. Um, but... He only takes his helmet off 
uh, when he got around this little creature. And part of the reason why that is is because he felt this like common bond with this little guy, right? He felt this like lack of judgment. He felt like a, a compassion with him and the little guy. And he felt like a sense of acceptance. And then he removed what they believed would, would condemn them. And I find it interesting because I believe that that is how Christ's love is for us, right? The more we understand how right we have been made, the more we understand how holy we, we are, the more we understand how nothing that we can do will make God judge us, the law becomes easier to remove from our minds, right? We won't want to go back under the law because we realize, man, this love that I'm experiencing, I'm not going to step out and hurt myself and do something. It's freedom. You stay free from <laughs> sin and guilt in any way because you recognize, man, there's nothing that condemns me right now. There's nothing that I can do that's going to make God turn his back on me. There's a sense of compassion that I'm experiencing because I understand his love and I'm walking with him and he's always with me. Are you kidding me? What kind of God is that? And it's the God we know. It's the God that we know as believers. And I want you to, I want to encourage you today. The more, if, you, if you're wanting to overcome sin, right? Like you got sin in your life and you think I, I got to overcome this. Don't stop. Just stop all that. Stop, first of all. Stop looking at sin. Stop looking at the law. Stop looking at things that have kept you in bondage and start looking at him. Scripture says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we get to look. We got to set our eyes on who he is and his love and his compassion and his favor on us that it won't leave us, that he's always with us. And when we do that, I promise you, I promise you, this weight that you felt, the sin that you're trying to deal with, you won't feel the power to want to overcome because you'll recognize, man, it's already been removed from me. I get to rest in who he is because it's already gone. It's been abolished. How long has it been abolished? Once and for all. Amen? Um, would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray over everybody before we go. Um, Again, we'll probably talk about once and for all again, even though I thought that I covered it pretty good, right? I feel like we understand that sin's been removed. But I want you to know, once and for all, he's always with you. And if he is holy, this is just something to think about. If he is holy and he's with you, because I think most believers can at least agree that Jesus lives in our hearts, right? It's like what we're taught. If you really do believe that, then recognize in order for him who the holiest of holies made that in you. You're now the tabernacle of God. Clearly, you have some part to play in the fact that you are that you are holy enough for him to live in. Amen? So, Father, we thank you, God, for each one this morning. We worship you today, and we thank you, God. We don't have to, I don't know, we don't have to spend 20 minutes making ourselves right with you, God. We don't have to even spend a moment making ourselves right with you because you have made us right, right where we're at. We trust you, God, to lead us and guide us. We, we know that you're faithful to us. Even when we don't, we don't get it all right, God, we, 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 we stumble, we make mistakes, we don't, we don't make sense of things, God. Because you're right, you're always with us. You love us. And God, help us to remove the helmet of law. Help us to, to stay away from trying to think that we're under the law. Because now that we're out from under the law, God, we're always with you. We're under your new law of love. And we trust you today. 
We speak to each one in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.